How many of you have siblings? Raise your hands if you have siblings. Brothers and sisters, you got a lot. Most of you, it looks like it. I think I've told most of you before that I have an older sister and a younger brother, and I love them dearly. But I must confess to you today that when we were growing up, I didn't always. <laughs> Anybody else want to say amen to that? <laughs> I've also shared with you, I suspect that I was, you already can imagine that I was a perfect child, right? <laughs> but strangely, I found myself, even though I was a perfect child, I found myself in conflict with both of them all the time. And most of the time, our parents would just, um, they, would, they would let us kind of try to work things out ourselves uh, until it appeared we were going to come to blows, and then they would step, and we did come to blows a few times, and then they would try to step in, though, before that would happen and, and try to mediate the situation. And generally, I didn't come out very good on the whole thing. And since then, I have figured out why. I have discovered that there are some fundamental truths of mediation that I didn't know back in the day that I've learned since then. And you might be asking, well, what are the fundamental uh, uh, rules of mediation? Well, I'll explain them to you right now. And if, if you haven't figured this out, you, you should right now because it'll, it'll make a difference in, in life. The fundamental rules of mediation for those who are in mediation are these. First, always stick to the truth. And avoid mudslinging. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Okay. If you can stick to those two things, it's possible that you'll come out all right through the mediation project. Now, I say that to you today because um, it's, even though we may have grown up, I have grown up, there are times I forget those rules and, and it's not uncommon for us adults to fall into those bad Mistakes of, of kind of uh, nuancing the truth. How's that a good way to say? Lying. Uh, or, or start mudslinging or calling names. And, and today our passage of Scripture gives a perfect example of somebody who should have known better doing the very thing that we should not do. And what we're going to discover, what I want you when we're through, is to notice what happens. And it may not be what you expect. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up. We've got it up here on the screen, but we encourage folks to bring their, your own Bibles and the translation that you use, is, I, I'm going to trust and believe that it is faithful to what God wants. And uh, The one we have up here on the screen is called the NASB. Uh, you may be using the NIV or the New King James Version or ESV. There's all kinds of them out there. And it's good to see different perspectives and different translations. And today, in particular, will be a good day for that. As you're doing that, op opening up to Acts chapter 24, let me give you just a, a quick synopsis of some of the things that we learned last week when Pastor Billy was preaching. Last week, we learned that the Apostle Paul uh, had narrowly escaped an assassination plot. Remember that? And... Um, after escaping the assassination plot, he was arrested and taken, or he was taken to be put on trial in Caesarea in front of the governor, uh, Felix. Now, some people might say, uh, I, I would explain to you that, that um, 
taking and being put on trial for instigating a riot was actually the best case scenario for for Paul at this particular point, which may seem kind of strange, but it really was the best case scenario for him for two reasons. Number one, the case against him was very flimsy. Number two, and this is the most important one, um, he knew that he was on a mission from God. You guys ever watch the Blues Brothers? You're probably all too young, right? So you probably never heard of it. knew he was on a mission from God and knowing that he was on a mission from God he knew that everything was going to be he believed everything was going to be okay right well that brings us up to Acts chapter 24 here in Acts chapter 24 as I alluded to a moment ago Paul's standing trial before the governor of Caesarea whose name is Felix and his accusers who are the Jews have um, brought out the big guns to try to make sure that they, that they rid their lives of this man. They, they, they found the most skilled and the most famous lawyer in the land. It was a guy named Tertullus. And by the way, I learned today the, the, the meaning of the, the name Tertullus means liar. Can't imagine a lawyer and having the name liar, but anybody? I don't want to know if there's any, any lawyers here. Okay. I apologize if you are, and anybody watching online, I apologize. See, sometimes not having notes is a bad thing, Kyle. So, Tertullus, you you get into the first part of of, of Acts chapter 24, and you realize they chose well. Tertullus is great at this, because you'll know this is how he starts his... um, his, um, um, his announcement or his, or his case before um, Felix, he says, he basically kisses up. Look at it. He says, he says oh, Felix, you're awesome. That's the way cool version. Anybody got the way cool version? <laughs> Felix, you, we are, we are, our land is filled with, with milk and honey and peace and prosperity because you're so smart. That's what he's saying. Look at it. Right? See, when you read the Bible, we have the tendency to read the Bible and make it sound very religious. Don't do that. Take the time you need to read the words that are up there and then think, what is he saying? He basically is kissing up here, isn't he? And that's a smart way to start if you think about it. I mean, if you, were, if you, if you had somebody that you know is going to be mediating or standing in judgment over you, a really good place to start, say, oh, you know, you're kind of good looking. I think you're awesome. All right. But I want you to notice something here, and I think it's easy to miss it. He starts out perfectly, in my opinion. And then it's almost as though he becomes um, overconfident maybe because he makes the very mistake that I warned you about earlier. Look at at verse 2, isn't it? He says, uh, he, he basically degenerates his argument into name calling. Mudslinging. See right there where it says, um, for we have found this man to be a public menace, 
What is what does your Bible? My I I read one Bible verse version that said that uh, w- w- get rid of him because he he is a uh, a nuisance. Or another one that said that he was a troublemaker. Uh, another one said he's a pest. In other words, what he was that what they were saying is, or what he was saying is, this guy's a pain in my neck, right? Big mistake, in my opinion. Now, Paul gets up, and um, he starts out much the same way as you're reading through Acts chapter 20, 24. He, he, he's not afraid of, of kind of stroking the ego of the mediator either. But, Paul, if you look at verse 21 in particular, what you'll notice is that Paul sticks to the truth, and he doesn't kind of go down into the mud like Tertullus does. He sticks to the truth. In verse 21, he says, this is the truth. This is, this is why I'm standing before you today. I'm accused of, of, of inciting a riot, but the truth of the matter is, I am standing here on trial today simply because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Now, Felix is a smart dude. And he catches on right away what's going on here. And he thinks, no one is going to manipulate me, especially not these Jews. If anybody's going to do any manipulating, if you read further on in chapter 24, you get the impression that if anybody's going to do any manipulating here today, it's going to be Felix that does it because he's, in, he's the big, he's the boss, right? At least in Caesarea. So, what do you think happens after all, all this? Well, if the, uh, if the fundamental rules of mediation that I described to you earlier were to actually play themselves out, um, Felix should announce that Paul is innocent and that he should set him free to live life happily ever after. Is that what happens? Have you read the chapter? That's not what happens. If you continue on, what you'll discover is that Paul ended up staying in prison for two more years. But not for the reason why you might think. He's not in prison because Felix thought he was guilty. Felix kept him in prison because he thought he was interesting. He thought the message that he was proclaiming, I need to hear some more about this. So he, he really kept him in prison just so that he could continue having conversations with him. And if you, you look, he was, he was, it was more house arrest, so um, he could have visitors and they took really good care of him. And it was, I mean, if you're going to be in prison, it probably wasn't that bad a deal. And some of you are probably thinking, you know, if you think about it from a, a biblical perspective or from a, a mission perspective, he was having the opportunity to share Jesus with one of the most powerful men in the government, which could have ramifications well into the future. But guess what happens after two years? After spending two years pouring into this relationship with Felix, 
sharing the gospel with him. And I, 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 can, ima- I can just imagine Paul going, this, is, this, is, this might work out here. This is, this, I can see God's hand in this. After two years, Felix moves. And Paul stays in prison. It's not a very happy story, is it? I can imagine if I was sitting in in Paul's shoes, I would have felt hopeless and discouraged. There had been a part of me perhaps that would maybe want to shake my fist at God and say, what in the world are you doing? I thought we had this figured out. This is not working out at all the way I anticipated it would. At this point, I want to remind you of something that Pastor Billy talked about last week. You may remember. He talked about the word providence. You remember that? Um, There's lots of definitions of the word providence, but the best word, the best definition I found is this, that providence is the unfolding of future realities. The preparation for the unfolding of future realities. In essence, what that is saying is that that um, there, all the things that happen in our lives have the potential to be building blocks on a future reality. And what the message here today is that all the things in our lives in the hands of God, which is key, have the potential to be building blocks in the potential reality of God. Even those moments of discouragement and hopelessness when relationships are broken, when um, you can't imagine how things could ever be okay again because of what of my present reality. God's message for you today, because there's a possibility that some of you are feeling that. My guess is in a group this size, there's somebody who came to church today who's feeling discouraged and hopeless. You want, you want to know what God wants you to hear today? Give Him the circumstances of your life that are making you feel discouraged and hopeless and then believe. That's what Paul had to do. Because you want to know, God didn't tell him how it was going to end up. He just said, this is it. You've been in prison two years. The guy that you were banking on is gone. Trust me. That's what God is asking you to do today. You see, never did God say that that if you live for Him, it was always going to feel good. That there would never be pain. 
He never promised that. In fact, He promises the otherwise. Because you live in a broken world because you are a broken human being. And so am I, by the way. There will be pain. There will be hopelessness and discouragement. But what God wants us to know is that when Jesus rose up from the grave that day, He said, no more! All that stuff, all that brokenness, all that pain has a purpose. But you got to give it to me. You, God loves you plenty. He's going to let you continue to wallow in your pain and your discouragement and your hopelessness if you want to. He is a gentleman and He will not make you give that and offer that stuff up to Him. But He's begging you to. He's asking you to bring your hopelessness, your discouragement, whatever it is that you're feeling today, offer it to Him and then believe in provident, His providential will in your life. As you, today we're going to be celebrating communion together. And um, as you come forward this morning to receive the sacrament, that's what God is inviting you to do specifically as you receive that, that sacrament. He's inviting you to to give all of your life, not just the, the discouragement and the hopelessness, but all of it. Give it to Him and believe that because of Him, it has purpose. All of it has purpose. Believe.